They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Tokyo Talk boy. to music. Well, hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. I know it's been a minute. Hope you, y'all caught the last episode, the Tina Marie episode. But just in any event, welcome to Craig's Pop Life Podcast, the Craig's Pop Life Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. Y'all been on me. I've been a journalist for more than 25 years, writing about the culture and whatnot. I'm the author of the book, the biography, Luther, the Life and Longing of Luther Vandross, as well as the memoir, All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C., among other books, among other stuff I'm working on. But I'm really just trying to get through this intro because I want y'all to get to the man that I'm about to introduce. Um, I guess you could say this is the pride edition of the podcast, but I mean, it's a Black gay podcast, so every episode is a celebration of Black queer people. So, you know, but still, this is just something really, really um, special, special, special. Today, I'm bringing you an interview with a legend, okay? A legend, an icon. Um, And let me explain what I mean by that, you know. For me, that got nothing to do with sales, got nothing to do with chart positions and stuff like that, because you can have all of those things without making any cultural impact or being a significant player in the culture. So bump that. You know, that's not what I am talking about. To me, a legend is someone who was there, okay? Someone who was there and can speak on it. Okay, someone who has interacted with subcultures that we now view as vitally important to the whole culture. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. And um, I can think of few people who aren't household names. I mean, even in Black households, even in Black queer households, who, um, you know, sort of occupy this space more than um, the person I'm about to Inter- let you hear my interview with uh, Mr. Mark Sedane, okay, or just Sir Dane, um, as he is also known, um, regally so. Um, now, if you're really about it, you might be familiar with his early 80s albums, One Way, Love Affair, and Exciting. They were produced by the exquisite production team of James M. Tumay and Reggie Lucas. They produced Stephanie Mills' early run of hits, like Never Knew Love Like This Before, all the way up to my favorite Stephanie Mills album, Just Stephanie. Um, play you some night games, play you some don't stop doing what you do. Just play your the whole album, even though it's not on streaming for some reason. But anyway, um, and also classics like Phyllis Hyman's You Know How to Love Me. Um, now, Mr. Sedane worked with them at an interesting point. They were actually starting to break apart at that point. Mr. M. Tume would go on to continue with his self-named band and produce classics like Juicy Fruit, where would hip hop be without M. Tume's Juicy Fruit? Um, and Mr. Lucas started working, you know, sort of oddly with this young New York transplant from Michigan um, named Madonna. You might have heard of her. But um, indeed, one of Mr. Stain's enduring dance floor numbers, um, which still will tear the club up in Europe, One Minute from Love, is one of the last records Mr. Lucas did before working with Madonna. So history. 
Um, but in addition to the soulful music that Mr. Sedane made, he also lived a life, okay, in which he crossed paths with some of the most significant figures, past and present, in our culture. Okay, I'm just going to run down a partial list, okay? James Baldwin, catch the photo in the notes, okay? Miss Phyllis Hyman, she was his, she was, she mentored him, okay? Um, and his hanging buddies, he was hanging buddies with people like disco icon Sylvester and Paradise Garage DJ Larry Levon. So he just amazes me at all the places that he's been. And he's going to talk about all that. So I really hope you just, you know, sit down, get you a little snack or something and just really just get into the combo. And um, just also just the people that he's seen perform just blew my mind. Like you'll hear him discuss Sissy Houston and her daughter, Whitney. Um, you'll hear him talk about seeing LaBelle live in Central Park. So let me just shut my mouth and let him tell his story, which begins in Savannah, Georgia. Mr. Sir Dane, take it away. Peace and blessings, Mark speaking. Uh, hello, is this Mr. Sedane? Yes, it is, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? Other than allergies, I'm blessed. Oh, you know, I, I've been dealing with the allergies too, so I can understand. Sir, I just wanna thank you so much for taking time, and I just, first things first, I wanna tell you my songs that I, that I just love. I love me some One Way Love Affair. <laughs> and I love Never Stop This Heart of Mine. That gives me kind of Whoa! like Stephanie, I love that oh song. My. It gives me the kind of like that Stephanie Mills Don't Stop Doing What You Do kind of feel. And I love Yeah, well, you know, M2 May wrote both songs. You know, he did of course, he produced of all course. of Stephanie. And I thought that when I heard um, Never Gonna Stop This Heart of Mine, you know, I thought. You, you uh, got that, that same feeling, gonna, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. That song, woo. <laughs> so I don't want to waste your time. I just want to, you know, like I said, I've read um, extensively the oral history that, um, the two-part oral history that I think had been done on you. So I'm very yes. familiar. So I just want to kind of like, you know, get, just ask you little questions, kind of follow up on that. But no I'm not problem. trying to like, you know. I appreciate um, you. Even. That's all I can say. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe somewhere down the line, you know, we'll be able to work together on on a book of uh, about me because I have such a rich uh, history of ups, downs, turnarounds, spiritualities, and all that kind of stuff, you know, oh, and know also what I went yeah. through in the industry. So uh, I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful that you thought of me. I'm, I could not have not thought of you. I'm grateful for, you know, everything that you've done, what you've done for the industry, what you've done for just what you've done. So I really appreciate that. And we can definitely keep the lines of communication open. This is part one of, you know, a relationship, I hope. Yes, and so thank just you. to start, oh, you're quite welcome. Just to start, um, you know, I know you moved to New York, you know, as a teenager. And I just wanted to, you to tell me a little bit about the appeal of like an urban environment, because I know you came out very early and like, just what was that calling like for you? Well, I think it just started in, in church mainly, um, you know, being in a Pentecostal organization and um, being a person that was involved in the in the music uh, part of the church and growing up and learning from others and um, then getting into, you know, plays in school. And it just developed um, this feeling that I wanted to do music, music more, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And once I uh, moved from Savannah, which was my hometown mm -hmm. i um you know moved to new york 
and pursued a little fashion industry thing, but I was always drawn to uh, theater, Broadway, uh, to the gospel end of my life, and that's just what you know flourished for me upon meeting him, too, mate. And of course, everything changed. Mm, of course. And now, you know, a lot of people really that aren't that aren't a part of the church or aren't familiar with the church or whatever, they really don't understand how central um, gay men, lesbians were to the church, despite some of the rhetoric that might come out of the church. So, like to the uninitiated, how would how do you explain the centrality of people that were in the life to the church? We love and and still do, you you brought up something that I was dealing with. Uh, this week, uh, Mother's Day is kind of rough for me. I, my, my mother passed four mm-hmm. years ago. I was very I'm close so to her. And my grandmother and my mother were in this Pentecostal church. Um, and as I grew up, you know, I, all I knew was the bands and the shouting and uh, the women dressed in white and the baptisms. So as a child, most people develop some form of what they have been um, introduced to. And so after I got, you know, to be a teenager and found out that I could sing, um, and being encouraged by my family and people in the church telling me that I got it because my mother didn't sing, my grandmother didn't sing. But as I grew up, I found out that my grandfather was the deacon in the, in the, uh, household of prayer, uh, the house of prayer, which I grew up in. And so everybody said I got the talent from my grandfather, who, unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet. So I, mm-hmm. from there, then getting into high school and, you know, plays and wanting to be in there, but uh, the church saying that, you know, we can't step outside, you know, we're uh, in sin if we do this, we're in sin if we do that. And so it was very, you know, perplexing. And then after knowing my sexual desires, <laughs> that mm-hmm. created more of a bombshell because, of course, in the Pentecostal church, you know, uh, that's not heard of. But yet you have deacons uh, and ministers going with uh, married women, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you have some people that uh, drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, you know, that was supposed to be a no-no, and they're still allowed to participate simply because they have the stereotype of a man and a woman. And when you're not a man or a woman and you are something else, it's forbidden. So it was rough. It was rough. Um, but yet I, there was community with this in the, but, but yet there's so many people in, like, the choir and stuff and everything. I was, a, I was a minister of music. I was a choir director. Okay. Once I became knowledgeable, well, a gay professor at my high school uh, was hired to teach my Pentecostal church classical gospel music. And mm-hmm. um, when he came over, you know, and he was working with them, and he was a queen, you know, and he would have his tantrums, and then one night he just said, Marcus, Marcus, come here, because I was in the uh, school choir under his direction. He was like, now I want you to direct this section and show them as I'm playing. And by the end of the night, I was a different person. And that's wow. how I pursued uh, directing. I had a choir in, in Georgia, uh, in Savannah, 
over 120 at one time, 200 choir members. We were the best uh, in the state and in the nation at one time. Then I moved from there, came to New York. There was a choir that had been established by the former leader that they wanted to rebirth, and the minister said, you're here, get this choir started, and I had over 200 members. And knowing that I was doing what I desired to do, there was a time I wanted to step out, and I was encouraged mm -hmm. to step out. And that's when the, all hell broke loose uh, because I was considered a black sheep once I started singing outside of the the, the church. Now, I heard the gospel circuit is downright scandalous when it came back in the day when it came to gay you know, came in in the chorus and people hooking up on the on the caravan circuit and all that kind of stuff. Was that something that you experienced, or was that sort of a different world? It was a different world, but there were, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm black, and my grandmother has Cherokee, so I guess my mother has it. I uh, had a great, fabulous-looking mom, a handsome dad to this day. In a few weeks, he'll be 96 years old in Savannah, and wow. he dressed. He dressed, and he was sharp, and he was a ladies' man, and you know. So I uh, grew up stylish and and just being me, not knowing that it, I had to be gay to feel and dress the way I wanted to dress. Of course, it had it couldn't be too flamboyant because I was still in the church. But, you know, I had relations in the church, you know, from older people, uh, not necessarily ministers, but other musical people in other states, right. you know, um, that I was attracted to and being young, young, young. And uh, uh, so things happen, you know, um, and um, there were times that relationships were going on long distance and then... They, when they would come to Savannah or I would go to their city, um, you know, we hooked up like that. So, And it wasn't only – this is the thing that gets me about the the church, the, what they call the church, because according to the scripture, the church is within. So I'm going to say mm -hmm. these organizations from mm -hmm. a, apostolic, which I grew up to, Catholic, to whatever form of religion or spirituality people in, there are gay people. And mm -hmm. the thing that gets me is that if you're in position and there's a possibility that you're doing these things, you can continue to do them for a long time if you have the right people that you're dealing with and it doesn't get out. But so many times this stuff comes to light from the mm. uh, heterosexual part of the church. You know, uh, then there's the heterosexual, so-called heterosexual Men, men in the church that are dealing with the gay kids. So, you know, it's all hypocritical until I became spiritual and not religious that I mm -hmm. accept who I am, uh, who I was created to be, and just try to live a, a, a life with love for everyone. And that's why I always say uh, love, peace, and happiness, or peace and blessings in my greetings, because... That's all we're supposed to be here for, not to mm -hmm. break people down and tear people down. And even, you know, in, in, in the sports world, and, you know, I mean, they still tear people down, some people. Um, and it's just sad. It's sad that it's in the church. 
it's it was in the church when I uh in the organizations, the houses of worship, when I was in my house of worship, I attend occasionally, uh most recently for funerals, home goings, but mm-hmm. I go to New York uh to the mother house they call it, and then there's a uh one of the uh edifice here in East Orange. And you know, I go and people treat me wonderfully. Uh, not like they did when I was in there participating. Most of mm-hmm. them are still treating me the same. But there are those that are kind of different because they haven't seen me. They see that I'm still looking good. I didn't come out here to rag myself. And um, I don't believe in the curse that if you step outside, the lightning is going to strike you. Um, I talked to my mother deeply about that and spiritual people. I've never had any problems uh, with understanding who I was and my purpose. So if you can't understand in these religious organizations and it's going on right in front of you in what you call a heterosexual relationship or heterosexual circumstances with sex going on in the church, what's the difference? Why can't I participate? Why can't I still be a part? Why can't I still direct a choir? And you have these people up here leading congregations doing the same thing, but in a heterosexual and, in some cases, heterosexual and gay relationship. Don't get me right. started. Don't <laughs> get me started. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that seems a paradox to me because it seems like, you know, obviously we know what the church, you know, what they say, but then at the same time, there seems to me that there's a degree of freedom or at least a sort of like unspoken openness of being Thank gay you. if you're within the musical community of the church. And explain so, that to me. Okay, okay. well, th- because we are so, and I claim it, because we're so talented, um, and how do we become talented? It's by divine order. That's mm-hmm. how we see it. That's what you preach about all the time. So why can't I be touched divinely? And once you realize that and you see our capabilities and what we can do to your house of worship or to your organization, then they overlook. Mm-hmm. That's to another degree. But then as long on as my not too end, out about it, yeah. Yeah, on my end, because I started singing outside of the church R and B and uh, rhythm, well, that's rhythm and blues or whatever I was doing in the early days and now coming back out, um, I can't understand why I can't participate if you're saying that uh, God is love. And right. then the, the, another sad point is the places that I were minister of music, when I go now, it's like dead. Mm. Because nobody is there uh, with the capability to make it happen. And then when you have someone that has the capability, you have to supply them with the tools. Mm -hmm. There are organizations that don't want to pay their musicians for their service. Right. Then if you go outside to get a musician, after a while, you know, you're not encouraged to pay your dues to keep that person there so that person moves on right it's sad that how they treat some kids Mm -hmm. that are in 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 the church and 
are gay and how they treat some in the church that are gay and overlook or uh, have no other choice. Yeah. You know, one thing you mentioned, staying with the church, you mentioned one of my favorite singers of all time, um, Miss Sissy Houston. Okay. Um, you mentioned <laughs> in Count Noss that, that, that she's at near the top now. For yes. Me. Um, now, you mentioned, you know, coming encountering her once you were um, involved somewhat with the New Hope Baptist Church. And I was just wondering what you, was your favorite memory of Miss Sissy Houston, because I just love her voice so much. Well, my most favorite outside of the church, I was a Sissy Houston fan uh, way before anything was happening with me musically. I was still in the church, but I was sneaking out going to certain places to um, enjoy myself. And, was it Sweetwater um, that she had me, the, with the... That she had a she, residency, kind of? She had a residency at Sweetwater's, but I saw her, and I, I'm telling you, it's, it's 100 years ago, so I definitely can't remember the spot. But I was expecting, excuse me, I was expecting more decadence in, in, in the spot, but it was a little spot in the village, and you had to walk downstairs. It was like in a, uh, you know, the basement apartment, which wasn't an apartment, it was in a restaurant. And um, my best friend and I, Dot Sykes, uh, decided we wanted to go, and we had tables right up front. And to hear her in a dark room setting, mm. a bar, small tables, mm. uh, she in a uh, pink glittering gown, mm. and sits at the stool, and just her and and the piano, what I say, just voice and keys and to the the emotion that you felt when you heard people like Miss Houston who I call singers not singers yes. singers right you know mm-hmm. um and to sit around those type people and learn from those type people um it was just rewarding uh you know in my gospel days I had a chance to meet and socialize with Reverend James Cleveland uh, okay. of the Cleveland Singers from um, L.A. Um, I let I, I met so many, t- and of course my dear friend, my Phyllis, Phyllis Darling Hyman yes. was my yes, best yes, friend. Yes. Um, so I grew up under these people, uh, going to their shows, buying their records, and developing a love for the art of, of words and songs. Mm-hmm. Now, Miss Houston, you know, from what I hear is, um, I wish I had been there, but like her club following was like basically all gay from what I hear. Like she had a huge oh, gay yeah, following. Yeah, yeah, how did she yeah. relate to the fans and stuff? Like how did she, did she acknowledge that? Was it something that everybody was aware of? Like what, what was that? Well, she, you know, she was, the- she didn't, you know, she didn't kind of, socialized but she had you know gay people working for her and around her and of course she was still you know the the um mistress or minister of music at New Hope so you know right. she had her she had her choices of musicians in the, in uh within the organization and she had her choices without and a, quite a bit of time she used her uh keyboard player or maybe guitar player from 
New Hope, as well as some of the singers were members of New Hope. So it was her vocals, it was her uh, passion, and I was watching a documentary short, you know, a few days ago uh, about, you know, the Houston family, and I didn't know she was going through so much when she was singing all of these songs that touched you, and of course she sang some of Dion's songs which touched you. Mm -hmm. So it was just the presence of vocals back in the day when people went out to hear real singing, real vocals, and that's what, and the, and the song choices are uh, 100% yes. uh, important. So her delivery, the song choices, her gospel background uh, set her on fire. That's what it was. Now, was Same uh, with like, Whitney. Yeah. Now, of Miss Houston's following, was it mostly, when you would go, was it mostly like black gay men or was it like mixed? Black oh, and mixed. white gay men? Like, oh, okay, mixed. mixed. Okay. At some times okay, you would go, sometimes you would go and it would be just about 99% white. What? Because okay. the kids loved vocals love and, yeah. and loved Miss Sis. And then the name <laughs> the name didn't help. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's, That's right. why it was always Miss Sissy, you know. So um, she had an ambiance and, you know, some of her early records and, of course, the notoriety of working with um, – Oh my God! What was the the background group that Sweet she inspirations? Worked? The Sweet Inspirations. Sweet Inspirations, yes, yes, yes Sissy's yes. Girls, or AKA Sissy's yep. Girls. <laughs> and some of them for, were from New Hope. You know what I'm saying? So they right. they knew her feel, and she knew what to do. And and then of course working with the Queen, you know that high note she hits on. Yeah, um, ain't no ain't way. Ain't no way. Uh, yeah. will be here to, for eternity. You know, so, mm -hmm. and working with, you know, Presley and all those people. So those, and I would love to always be able to go to New Hope uh, on a Sunday morning. They had the early service and the 11 o'clock service or to a home going because I knew it was yes. going to be church and I knew she was going to sing, you know. So, um, yeah, she's she's a legend, an unsung Ooh. legend. Yeah. Now, now, why did she? Why did she get a? I'm not, you know, all this. I'm just asking, look, really innocent. Like I'm not, no judgment or anything like that. But why do you think she got a pass to sing secular and still be retain her position at New Hope? But yet, at the New Hope, the it's the it's the organization. Okay, it's the gotcha. organization um, and the leadership. You know, uh, where I came from, you know, Pentecostal is sanctified and holy. You know, right. Um, so, um, although as I grew up, like we were talking about, you know, when I first encountered someone within the organization and, you know, they were married and they, and but very masculine and they were married and it was known that they played the fields. And you said fields with ass. <laughs> yes, they would play more than one. They play in the fields, you know. Right. And yet, the lead, the the head person of the organization, you know, gave them their flowers and the things that they allowed them to do. And I guess if I was hardcore masculine mm. and had a wife mm. and kids, mm -hmm. you know. 
um, fronting, in I, other words, if you were fronting, yeah, if you were, yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, like yeah. just like the others were doing, you know. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a two headed sword and a double tongue in mm-hmm. these religious organizations. Some can deal with it as long as it's re- it, it's done on the low it, and and it's respectful and but you've seen so many stories on social media about so many of these ministers with these big churches, you know. Uh, finally getting caught, or a passing of the AIDS virus, or cancer, or whatever. It's there. It's there. If you love people, and you're representing God, and you are getting respected, and you're giving respect, I think that's all it should be about. And then what always gets me when those scandals happen is if a person just gets in front of the congregation and says, I've sinned, please forgive me, as opposed to making a statement about Hey, we need to accept gay people. This is a part of life and stuff Thank like that. You. Like it all, right. it's always about redemption, and people just kind of forget about it, as opposed to using it as a platform to, you know, say that Unite. God loves all people and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, I'm up there saying, "Forgive me," in front of the congregation, and the per, the, the minister up there that's touching me and and boosting me on, you go around the corner and have Sister Lucy. <laughs> Not Sister Lucy. <laughs> Sister Lucy. She leaves church early so she can go get ready. <laughs> I know uh, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So that, you know, you, and that's why I, ever... can't be in, I can't be in a, 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 a conformed or form what they call religion. Because mm-hmm. it's not pure. In my spirituality, I can keep pureness in. Because I'm not right. dealing with a whole mixture of other elements telling me what I should do. And you not living no better than myself. And I'm living mm-hmm. better than you because I'm spreading love. And you're being upfront about your life. Exactly. Yes. Now, did, yes. did you ever cross paths with a young Whitney or anything like that? Did you ever of have? Of course. No. So what's your well, favorite I was Whitney doing... memory? I'm well, sorry, go ahead. I, let me see. The 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 most intimate. Um, I was doing a show in East Orange at a place called the Peppermint Lounge, and they had a big ballroom. And I had been doing the smaller rooms uh, whenever they wanted me, and whenever I wanted to. And then I said, you know, let's let me put a, a, a show together in the ballroom in honor of my dear friend uh, uh, Phyllis Hyman, and I'm going to do eight or nine of her songs and I want the girls dressed in uh, gowns with gloves and the guys in tuxedos and um, we uh, had our sound check and I came outside and uh, Miss Houston and Whitney was there and they were talking to some of my background singers and I really I was so stressed I passed right by them and then when I was waiting for the car and I turned around, I could see it was Whitney, and I said, oh, my God, they're looking like I passed right by them. So I ran over. I said, please <laughs> forgive me. I didn't see you guys. I'm gonna... And she was like, baby, I understand. And we hugged, and she said, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be here tonight. So you know what, Craig? I haven't told the story in years. Wow, all thank coming you. coming back to me when you brought that up, my most intimate time with her. And that was outside on Central Avenue in front of the Peppermint Lounge with her mother and my background singers and some other people. And that evening, um, 
I performed and I acknowledged her and I was singing and she was like, sing, Mark Sedane. You better sing, boy. You know, so uh, I have not remembered this or talked about this in, I can't even remember the last time. That is wonderful. And it's so wonderful to show, you know, people criticize Whitney a lot, but I mean, it's so wonderful that she knew to show up and represent for Miss Hyman and stuff. So that's very, very powerful. Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! I forgot about that. Now you. Yeah. So that was the most intimate. Okay. You know. What? Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now you met yeah. Mr. James Baldwin, who I believe you described as country. <laughs> you know all my business. <laughs> <laughs> and you said. And he told you to leave the country and go, um, you know, kind of get your career going over. He said I wouldn't be successful. He said I wouldn't be successful at that period, um, in in the United States. I yeah. What time I, um, are we talking now? Like the seventies or sixties? Or okay, I got my record deal at Warner's nineteen eighty. So it was prior. Yeah, it okay. it had to be because I don't think I went back over there after the record. So well, let's say seventy nine eighty. Seventy nine eighty, okay. And, and he, why he did he to, think that? Just go ahead. Well, he used to come over, you know, uh, once a year. His brother uh, was the manager of mm-hmm. McHale's. That was the 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 club on ninety. 96 uh, and Columbus Avenue, and my okay. manager that yeah, my manager at the time was the owner. And um, the first time he came in, uh, I had just finished performing, and he came downstairs and said, uh, his brother wanted to introduce him. So he said, I've heard so much about you, young man, and I can't wait to hear what you have to offer the world. I mean, it was always spiritual, um, direct, heart, meaningful words, and that's what I like, and that's what I present. I like to give people the truth in words. And so after the show, uh, I went downstairs and dried off and changed up and came back upstairs and talking to different people, and he was sitting at the bar, and as the bar closed, he told me, he said, come sit down right here, have a drink. And that was my first um, schooling, my first lesson, my first awareness on the obstacles for black gay men in the United States. And each time he came, I was in class, and I learned so much about him. And uh, like two years ago, this young lady that hung out with me over there, Miriam, sent me a – she said, I have a big surprise for you. And I think it was around Christmas. And – when she, when I got it, it was a picture of me and Mr. Baldwin, and oh. I treasure that, and I've had it blown up for my apartment, um, and it's on Facebook. I have to, when my son comes over, I got to make sure that people can't copy it, because it's been mm-hmm. there for a minute. I didn't think about that, but he was an educator, mm-hmm. and I wasn't fully aware of him at the time. I mean, I knew of him. Uh, by word of mouth, by news, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't grasp towards what was going on until I met him and um, started reading up on him and being able to be uh, taught about life uh, as a black gay 
man. Mm. Difficulties. You know, one of my favorite books by him is Just Above My Head because it has that romance between the two gospel singers. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way of, like, showing how much, you know, gay people are. Is going on, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, well, this makes sense because I know that at one point you had said um, that you felt like, because you know the Sylvester's and the Keith Barrows and people out there, but you felt like when you came out, I mean, when you launched your record career that – it was enough pressure just being out there in the industry. You didn't really want to take on the whole thing about trying to be gay and in the industry. Is that accurate? Well, you know or? what? It just couldn't. And thank you for bringing up because they both were my dear friends. I talked to Syl, um a week before she passed. Um, yeah, I know. We're going to talk about them later. I have them. I have it all written down. So don't need, I'm don't sick worry. of you. I don't know you. Look, you don't know me that well. <laughs> yes. So it was. Um, I looked up to them because they were out before me. <clears throat> and being that I had the pleasure of meeting both of them, I fell in love with them. Um, mm-hmm. And likewise, and I, I think I was a little more closer to Sabelle. But I didn't, my music at that time was not really where I thought M. Tumay was going to take me. Um, because when he saw me, I was singing, what you going to do with my loving? Uh, right. Because, you know, when he accidentally saw my name in the marquee and came in, and I was doing the Phyllis Hyman's and uh, the Peebo Bryce's and the Teddy Pendergrass, you know, uh, and I thought that he would capture that, but he took me into a funk uh, uh, yeah. realm, and he had me singing as if I was Tiny Tim um, up in of the course. rafters. I didn't need to be that high. Yeah. (laughs) So I wasn't totally, you know, happy with the direction, but I was wise enough not to say anything because I had a major record deal and major producers. And they were having kind of problems at the time, right? But like, weren't um, like um, Reggie Lucas and James and Tumay kind of working separately? On the second album, I did, I worked with M. Tumay um, at Sigma on the west side, and I worked with Reggie at Penny Lane on the east side. And okay. that was on the last album. And okay. Reggie called me in and he said, man, he said, I, I'm, I, I couldn't wait to work with you one-on-one. He said, because I'm going to be honest, I didn't like the direction that Tombs took you. You know, you hmm. are a singer. You are a vocalist. And so I said, Okay, you know, because I didn't really know what was why I was being separated um, until almost the end of the record. So Reggie captured me on a vocal uh, 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 level that I was looking forward to in that type song, which is One Minute from Love. That's Reggie okay. Lucas. And that's, that's my the biggest. Too. Yeah, that's the biggest song I've had. My second biggest was one way love affair, but the biggest which they're still playing well they're still playing both of them or more than both of them over uh you know in France and the UK mm-hmm. and all over the world. I get hit hits up every month from people telling me how much they love my music and my voice and I'm talking about this we're talking about thirty forty years or thirty five years old music. So it was hard to see Sylvester and uh, Keith have hits. That was the only right. 
thing that got to me. Uh, I wasn't given the right uh, vehicle, I don't think, but I didn't say well, anything. Because... Yeah, of course, because you're trying to, yeah. Cause, you yeah. know, but just what strikes me, just suddenly strikes me is like, your last album was probably the one, the last that had joint M. Tume Lucas credit, and probably you were one of the first artists that Mr. Lucas worked with before he w- w- broke through with Madonna. Yeah, that was you, like eight. Yeah. Yeah, you got it all right. Everything you say. Incredible. Mm. Yeah, yeah, man. Those were some days. Some some good so days. Let's get back to one of my favorites. I, I've been seeing her. I'm 54, so like I was seeing her at the. Um, I, I was born in D.C., so I was seeing her at Blues Alley for as long as I can remember. When I was a little kid, I, they would, you know, let me in. Uh-huh. What's your favorite memory of Miss Hyman? <gasps> oh man. Or a memory, because I'm I'm not trying to stretch you out, but just uh, you know. <laughs> no, you just touched us. A soft spot because I loved her so dearly. So um, I just can't think of any one thing except uh, maybe she was performing here in Jersey and wherever. Oh, no, I'll go with the biggest. Wherever she went that was connected to Jersey, Connecticut, D.C., Pennsylvania, I made sure I was there. And uh, she was in Connecticut and we drove up, and I drove all the way up with um, a box of um, a two, uh, two dozen long stem yellow roses. Oh, and uh, we were in the audience, and my favorite song, Oh, Mark Sedane, uh, Oh, Mark Sedane, what is your favorite song? Um, the answer's you. I mean, Woo. at that time. Where have you been all my life? My life. I love that song. <laughs> and she heard me sing it at McHale's. So that's how we became, because that's where Phyllis got her start. That's where she, mm-hmm. she was uh, discovered at McHale's. So, and they had a big portrait of her up on stage. So oh. I was singing her songs and she, and I started communicating. And um, so I, when she started singing, uh, what song did I just say she sung? Uh, you said, um, where have you been all my life? The answer is you. Yeah. The answer is you. I got mm-hmm. up with my roses, and I and this was a huge theater. And I walked down, and as she was singing, and I just stood there, she was like, what are you doing here? And I said, <laughs> you. And she was like, this is my baby. And I gave her the roses, and she said, I'll see you later, and I'm, that was in the in the middle of the song. Oh, okay. And then so as that was the like show an endorsement, though, yeah. Oh my God! And then at the end of the show, we were getting ready to leave, and some guy came, said, "Phyllis said, come on, she want to see you backstage," and that's just how she was. Wherever I went, that's the woman that uh, captivated me. I came in from a little town in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia sneaking out of the church, going to the different clubs to see what this life was like in New York and see what the gay life was like and the not-so-gay life was like. And the first female artist that captured my heart was Phyllis Hyman, um, first album when they played um, 
the title track, which I can't think of mm-hmm. right now, on her know, very first the, album. The Loving you, is it yeah. worth the pain of losing you? you. Oh! Right, oh! right, right. That was the one. You know, Baby, one and I, I went out what? the next day, because I asked the DJ, I said, Who's, who is this song by? And it was like full of time. And baby, the next day after work, honey, I was at the record store buying it. And I, was <laughs> I know that's right. I was now, hooked. you know, one thing about Miss Honda that I will always remember is like, because I guess she traveled, when she traveled up and down the East Coast, she would mostly do Amtrak. Um, right. The, the Red Caps would throw themselves in front of a train. <laughs> they, she she always treated them right. She always tipped them good. Like whenever yep. I would just be randomly like somebody would see me listen to Phyllis Hammers on they were all the red caps will always represent for Miss Hammer because she always treated them right. That was the that she was the artist of choice for every <laughs> Amtrak red cap for a per- period of time. So. Beautiful. Now, how did she feel about her gay fans? Did you ever have any kind of conversation? Oh, she loved. About oh, that? yeah, she loved. She, lo- they were the ones that created her. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that created her. It was I very difficult that's... for her to cross over and all yeah. that kind of stuff, but she didn't matter, you know. Uh, she just had, uh, again, a, a Sissy Houston, you know, uh, a, a voice, a vocals. Uh, she was very stylish, you know, uh, a fag hag, you know, that's what right. they called <laughs> women like uh-huh. her. You know, uh, they made her feel good. They made her feel loved, you know, because she had a, a very difficult love life. And yes. with um, uh, the other ailments, you know, bipolar and other ailments that were real detrimental to her, um, that she had no control of her because she was just a lost soul um, trying to be loved. Yeah, aren't we all? Yeah. Uh, now, let's switch switching gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about Miss Stephanie Mills. Like, you have any good <laughs> memories about her or how she felt about her gay fans and that oh, kind of thing? Oh, she loved her gay fans. Mm-hmm. She, loved, she loved all of her fans, and it didn't matter you know, uh, just like with Phyllis, it didn't matter uh, the the color of your skin, you know, how you dressed. If When you went to a show for Phyllis Hyman or Stephanie Mills, you went looking for something uh, uh, from their music and to see them live, to feel their, their compassion and, and the passion for what they do. Um, they loved all of them, all of them. But, of course... Those that really stuck and those that were uh, really verbal were, you know, the gay community. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Stephanie was a sweetheart. You know, I pray one day that I'd be able to do a uh, uh, duet with two people, and that's uh, uh, Stephanie and um, Allison Williams. Um, okay. Well, put Stephanie, it on out there in the universe. I'll be thinking oh, about yeah, it, too. yeah. So. Yeah, Stephanie was sweet, you know, because I knew Stephanie before the record deals. I met Stephanie, I opened up for Stephanie in Dover, uh, New Jersey, uh, when I was doing the Chitlin Clubs. And I was doing Ashford and Simpson and Teddy, and it had a balcony. And um, one of my musicians said, look up and to your left. And I looked up, and 
Stephanie was hanging over the balcony just dancing and telling me to sing, and her crew was rooting me on. And after my set, um, before she went on, they were in the break room, and she sent for me, and she was telling me that she loved my voice. She prayed that I have the best, and, you know, just be careful who you deal with. And, you know, it could be a, a, a rat race and, you know, stay true to myself. And then maybe two years later, I opened up for her um, at Symphony Hall, which was at that time the biggest in uh, New Jersey. And um, I had been working at the Chitlin Circuit for three nights, Thursday, Friday. The show was Saturday. So I my voice was gone. We had a sound check. And Stephanie was downstairs. And so when I left, she said, um, chew on this. No, she, we were talking. And she said, you horse, you're going to be all right tonight? I said, I've been working since Thursday. She said, oh, okay, come up to my dress room. Went up to the dress room. She said, open your mouth. Close your eyes, open your mouth. And I opened, closed my eyes, opened my mouth. And she said, once I put this in your mouth, chew on it. And don't spit it out. And, baby, it was a clove of garlic. And, oh. honey, she was like, don't you spit it out. Don't you spit it out. And, baby, that night when I opened up with two tons of fun, I got the feeling I was feeling like Tiny Tim, honey, because I was hitting notes and everything. So I always thanked her and will always tell that story. And when I do shows to this day, my regiment includes raw garlic or garlic and tea. Okay, whatever works, hey. Yes, now, you, yes. You seem to have crossed paths with a lot of people on the scene at the time and stuff like that. Did you ever cross paths with, like, Ronnie Dyson or hear anything about Ronnie Dyson? or? I met Ronnie Dyson um, at a house party in Brooklyn, and he was my idol. Wow. And he still is. And, and uh, it's funny how you're bringing this up because I did a song with some local talent many years ago, and they're still in my corner, and they're growing uh they brought up, they wrote a song that was from, because they said, I sound a lot like Ronnie. And mm-hmm. I've been told that, that a lot of times. And so they wrote a song for me, and nothing ever came of it. Now we are pulling out of the archives, and they're saying, we're going to do this dance track on you. But after that, we need to go and rebirth Ronnie Dyson's song that we wrote for you. And I was like, Y'all, I, I can't wait. So I only met him once. I was a fan. I still am a fan with his. He was the epitome to me of a vocalist, a male vocalist. There were many back in the day, but uh, around that time, he was the one. He was on the major TV shows and, and late night shows and having hit records, you know. Uh, and um, I I think I saw him once after the sugar took over and he was in a wheelchair. I, I'm, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, Lord. That. I remember that before he passed, yeah. Now, one thing I could never get a handle on with Mr. Dyson is, like, I don't under, I don't know, like, was he out? Was he closeted? Like, I, I just can't. I, think I, I don't know. I can't clo- get a handle I don't, on I never got a feel because it was so – his front was so uh, – uh, well protected, you know, uh, 99% believed, um, uh, 90% believe, and 
10 just didn't care. That's all I thought about. But I never knew of any relationships, so I can't say he was gay. I can't say, you know, anything that uh, might prove uh, what some feel they know knew and yeah. some question. But it was to the point that he was so talented and he wasn't the best looking of guys, you know, uh, but it was his talent. If he had lived, he would have been major. Yeah, yeah. He would have been major because I, I remember the last time I saw him on TV was on Johnny Carson, and oh, I'm t- I was I was only two then. <laughs> yeah, so he was a cool, you know, a couple of times that I, uh, I know the first time was at a dinner party in Brooklyn. In okay. Colorado. Yeah, but you know he was just. It was his talent, his gift. That's the sad yeah. thing. Because he could, ooh, his vocals. Yes. 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 Any memories of, you know, Mr. Vandross? Because I know he was part of the whole, you know, kind of Mtume Lucas background crew that, you know, was on your albums and stuff like that. And that's any, the only um, time that I can say that I have met him other than, uh, on page 132 in your book, I mean 131, you know, I, I know it by heart. Uh, when I when I tell people, about, I said, buy the book, but go to page 131 first. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to get that signed copy right out to you. I'm going to mail it tomorrow. All right, baby. I have to go to UPS. Okay. Yeah, he was a, a, a good person, you know. I knew of his history, so I was in awe of him you know, and Fonzie and all the girls, Tawath and Brenda, because I was an avid uh, music person and I had my uh, collection of, of of what they would call in church, uh, in the religious songs, worldly music. You know, I had from Streisand right. to B.B. King, you know, but um, those were the people. And as I got into the industry in, in New York, I paid more attention to them. Um, right. And um, other than in the studio, I I never was able to be in, you know, I was a, a youngin', you know, yeah, to course. be in that kind of crowd. And then the other time that I can remember him definitely is, you know, on page 131. And he was very <laughs> kind and he didn't say any, he was like, Mark got this, uh, you know, but... Uh, what was the producer name? Uh, uh, John uh, Patrice or something like that? Yeah, Patrice. You know, yeah. he, Luther was a more polished uh, vocalist. I was a new kid on the block. And I right. guess he was doing some trickery that I hadn't learned yet. Yeah. So yeah. Um, vocally, when yeah, he, he came out of Yeah. And so what had happened after I found out, they had talked to Luther first. Right. You know, just like you say in the book, but they weren't giving him the credits and the type of money he wanted. So then all I knew was uh, Wayne called me and said, you know, I'm going to send you this track, uh, uh, bring you this track. You got to learn it because this is what it is. And I said, OK. And I was ready and went into the studio and uh, singing and uh, uh, carrying on and then in walk you know, Mr. Vandross, and I was like, okay, go over there and get your little lunch bucket, honey, and close (laughs) her up. It's over. And so 
Luther said, let me hear some. Mark, go ahead and sing. And so Luther said, I don't find nothing wrong with that. But it was, I understood it, you know, Petra wanted polish. And I knew what mm -hmm. it was. So I, honey, I just put my tail between my legs and went on out the door, you know. And, and um, you went on to do your thing. So, you know, yeah. but it... I always felt like it was kind of like you were a pawn in that situation. Like it, it seemed. It always seemed to me like it really was never about you one way or another. Like nope, it was just nope. you know it was kind of the politics. Now, do, yep. I, did now how well? What was do you did you know? What were your memories like with Mr. Tony Washington of the Dynamic Superiors? Did you have any sort of? I only met him one time, and I'm telling you that was so long ago, and I don't even remember. Where it, it was in D.C. or in a little CD club in New York. I never met him, you know, intimately, intimately. I okay. only saw him from a distance, and I can't remember what city that was in, you know, but I was always a fan. I was what always a fan. What did he represent for people at the time? Like, what were, what, what was the talk about him? Like, what was the... Uh, you well, know, see, during that time, he represented Sissy. You know, okay. Um, I don't even think it was faggot yet. I, I'm quite sure that was out. But you know, in the days coming up, you know, uh, especially when I was coming up, you know, and you would hear conversations. Oh yeah, he's a sissy. Or kids in school, you know, would call you that name because you were different. Um, mm -hmm. And um, especially back in those days when men wore lashes and makeup and stuff, you know. They were, you know, trying to be women, and they were just considered as sissies. But again, uh, somebody that had some sense looked beyond that and uh, got into his vocals because, you know, he he could be the, the uh, Russell Patterson back there in the day. You know, not that Russell was mm -hmm. gay, but with the voice technique that Russell had, you know, he also had. Um, but Again, the politics, they weren't yeah. going to push him too far. Right. Now, Definitely back, not. if he was out here today, he would be everywhere. He'd be understated the way these children would look to be looking today. He would be yeah. like conservative. <laughs> yeah. Un un until you go to Lil Nas. You know, that's who. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, right. Uh, he reminds me of, you know, the Lil Nas, although back there it wasn't a lot of theatrics. It's just the clothes you wore and, and your makeup. But uh, he would be, you know, if this was the day in the time that he was, he would have been super. Because Russell was super, too, and they had the same voice technique. Yeah, have you Quality. ever heard of the, um, have you ever heard of the rapper Saucy Santana? I think I have. Well, just look him up, because he is very, he's even more out there than Little Nas X, and he really reminds me of that tradition of kind of like, the sort of sissy tradition, but really being out and proud. So I think you would like him. So you What's him your up. name? A saucy Santana. Santana. Saucy. Okay. Now he is out there. Now let's what? talk you about What? You said... Go ahead. No, Go I said ahead. he is. He's really out there. No, he is really out. He's even more out there than Lil Nas X. So All right, but you see they're not letting another one break through. Well, but he just got signed to RCA Records, so things might be changed. I don't might know, but be things might okay. be changing. So now let's please talk about Mr. Keith Barrow and just how nobody remembers him and, like, 
what did he represent at the time? Oh, I want to throw sissy in there, but I want to throw another word with it. And I mean, you call him flaming at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he he wanted to be, you know, uh, in between. Uh, I keep trying. To, I know who to go for as female, but I don't know who to go to for as male. Because he was in between. Sometimes he can give you the flamism, and then sometimes he can give you the little boy uh, thing happening too. Uh, but his idol was uh, Grace Jones. So right. Uh, uh, mm, he just was Keith from my standpoint, because I didn't look at them as America or the church was looking at them, I looked at them as an individual, you know, uh, a, a complete being of, of who they were. And although society and, and, and the religious people couldn't get with it, but they loved the Sylvester and they loved the uh, Keith Barrow. Um, and Next. that still has, to, still has to do with how you represent yourself. Some mm-hmm. people can deal with the fagism, the sissyism, and some just can't. Well, Ken, for people that don't know, because a lot of people really just do not know about um, Mr. Burrow, can you just explain how big he was at the time and the impact that he had just on the culture and the community and everything at the time? If he was living now and still could do what he do and still look good, he would be big because there's so much acceptance of uh, of that type of lifestyle or that type of aura. That's what I should say, aura. Uh-huh. Um, that's Everybody more acceptable. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he was before his time. Uh, Sylvester broke because he came from San Francisco, which is a right. major city, and California, yeah. which is a major state. And acceptance in the lifestyles, uh, uh, for so many years have been so much freed up out there than it is back on the East Coast. But um, Keith was a, a great vocalist, a great writer, uh, always himself, whether it was, I guess, what they would say, sissy or flamboyant, he was always himself. He didn't try to uh, fit in, and we were talking about doing something together uh, Sylvester, myself, and Keith. Uh, we were, we were all at the uh, had, had performed at the garage, and okay. um, one night I don't know if it was Sylvester performing or Keith, but whoever was performing, I was in the dressing room with the other person and me, and whoever was performing, and we we talked about it, and then you know the virus AIDS broke out and. But I often think about what that could have been. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Now, the interesting thing, when um, when Keith Farrell died, you know, the reports like in Jet and just in the press, there was little mention, there was no mention of his sexuality, no mention of AIDS, but his mother, who's from the church, actually wanted people to mention that because she wanted to raise awareness of the issue. Yeah. So it's crazy to me. So how did you feel about that? Like, how did that all play out? 
from your well eventually you know she worked she was working with um push you know reverend jackson yeah. she was mm-hmm. the second in 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 charge and um i met mrs burrow because i had lived in chicago for a little while and okay. i had j- just or was i there for the funeral okay i got to figure that out but anyway um I think I was in Chicago at that time. But anyway, she was an outspoken person about right uh, and, and uh, a person's right. She loved her son. And um, so after he passed, she became involved in, you know, AIDS awareness. So, you know, I thought it was great, uh, you know, and after uh, Reverend Jackson uh, then tried to stop her, you know, it just brought more awareness of of, of that disease at that time. And uh, he was one of the first on the yeah. gay music scene, one of the very first, because I remember going to the hospital to see him with Larry LeVan from the garage. And, wow. And um, we was, after we left, we was like, I was saying, well, I wonder what, why is he sick? And, what's, and Larry said, it's that new disease they think he got, you know. So that's how I became aware of the AIDS virus. Ooh, thank you. Ooh, you were taking me through changes, but now Knock you had mentioned mm-hmm. you had mentioned that 1981 was like the worst year for you in terms of understanding the devastation that was to come with AIDS. And it just strikes me as kind of like um, really odd timing because that also time with like when you were making your major label debut and stuff like that and i'm just wondering how you juggle sort of this feeling of like losing your friends and this oncoming devastation but at the same time you're trying to launch your own stuff like how did you how did you and stay safe yeah oh, and of stay course, safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right oh my god i think i just um dedicated myself to trying to stay healthy, to be aware, and focus on me because there was nothing that I could change. And then the support system uh, that I had within my uh, straight and gay community and my my, uh, parents, although they weren't together, um, I, I didn't let it take me down because it, I mean, it was so much death and so fast and so many people that you knew and till like, I, I just try to stay focused on what they meant to me and how I can have and what I can continue to keep within me that I've learned from them. Uh, mm-hmm. Because although I went to see Keith, with Larry, years later, Larry passed, yeah. and I sang at his funeral in this cathedral on the east side, and it really hit me then the devastation that that uh, time and that disease caused. And Do you remember what was... song you sang by the chance? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, Precious that. Lord. Oh, okay. Precious that's, Lord. That'll, that'll and they had a big... every time. Look. And in this big old cathedral, it was a place from what I'm told that when musicians passed, famous or not so famous, this church is the only place that will immediately open the door to you. And they had this big uh, ball up in the ceiling, a disco ball. 
And but, at the end of this service, they played um, Love is the Message and turned Love the light on the, the ball. And they Woo! turned the light on the ball in the cathedral. So, Woo! you know. It was Do you remember time. the name of the cathedral or at, at all? Or no, no. I all I know it, it don't, was don't worry about it. Don't even worry about big, it. Big fancy, and on the east side where most musicians that aren't affiliated with a religious organization uh, have their their home goings. Okay. Now, before we we got to get on to happier topics, but um, just tell me about your friendship with uh, Mr. Sylvester. Well, I fell in love, you know, like I said, I fell in love uh, as a person that bought his music and tried to figure out his life, how he can live the way he lived. Um, You know, uh, once I got to know him uh, and, uh, you know, was able to sit down and talk to him at this couple's apartment on the east on the west side um and then i opened up for him a couple of times and i introduced him at a couple of uh affairs um and um when i found out that he you know was ill of course i was heartbroken and i called you know tried to call once a month and um i just I have, I'm, you know, when it comes to him, I'm very emotional because he was the gay individual who was successful at being who he was. So I looked up to him, uh, his flamboyancy from the very, very first album with the sequented dress with the feathers, with the white rock mm-hmm. band, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, band. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I followed his career. And whenever he was in town, you know, he would let me know that he was coming to town. And I would either always go to the show, or if he was just here on business or vacation, you know, I would hook up with him uh, and his friends for dinner. Um, So he was just a a sweet, sweet, sweet person. Now, my understanding was that when he started getting really sick that it was extremely rapid when he passed like that that period of like getting very sick yeah. and then pa- passing and you said you even talked to him like a week before did he was a he, week before cause i know he was very much aware that it was but i mean he was he you ever seen the picture of the parade um in san francisco yep. and he mm-hmm. was in the wheelchair yeah mm-hmm. yeah i called um from my apartment because I heard he was, you know, really declining. And um, it was a Saturday and, you know, a few people were over because we were headed to the garage. I think we were going to the garage. Anyway, um, I just said, let me call and check on him. And something was going on in the background and he was like, turn it off, turn it off. I can't stand the noise. Oh, no. He was just screaming (laughs) and, you know, he finally calm down. He was like, forgive me, Mark. He said, I can't stand nothing. I can't stand no sound. I can't stand nothing. I'm I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. He said, I'm just Oof. ready. And I said, oh, he said, yes, darling. I am ready. I've already talked to the father, and I'm ready. And I think that was on the, yeah, it was Saturday we were going out. So that Monday or Tuesday, he was gone. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 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 
how did do you remember how you found it? Like who told you, or like did you find out in a good way, or did you find out in kind of like a? Because you know sometimes you can find out like in a no, it was just way and it doesn't gossip. Do... I don't know where I can't. That's blocked out. I don't know, but it wasn't from yeah. like uh, uh, the newspaper or a magazine. It was within you know the community. Yeah, uh, that I was uh, entangled with. You know, uh, I, uh, something tells me we were over at Larry's house because uh, he always had gatherings. People just pop up and be there all night, you know, <laughs> and, and um, enjoying life and smoking and drinking. So I, it had to be in a, uh, a setting like that because I do remember coming home and um, just breaking down. Like I did with yeah. Phyllis, I was on my way to her show in Harlem with my roses, right. and heard about it on the radio. So you know, we turned around. Oh, and came I'm back. so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, and I took every picture, every album that I had out that I could see down that night because I couldn't deal with it. And it was a year, right. uh, about two years afterwards, when I did the Phyllis Hyman tribute and Whitney came. That's what I was telling you about. So that was the, when I did the Phyllis Hyman tribute, after I could deal with her death. Sylvester took me a little while, but um, I bounced back from him more because his music was danceable, uplifting, you know, right. and mm -hmm. uh, bouncy. So you, your spirits had to bounce along with it. So, um, But, yeah, I had some really good people in my life that meant the world to me. I wish was still to, to see what's getting wanna, ready to happen. I want to thank you so much for sharing that with me. And you, I mean, but let's move on to something happier because <laughs> I don't want to bring you down. I know you talked about, you know, your time seeing LaBelle in concert and something like that. And for somebody like me that never had that experience, could you just oh tell me God. a little bit about, like, what a LaBelle show was like, especially for, like, gay fans and stuff like that? Oh, it was that there 100% and maybe 20%, but 100% was gay people. You saw your straight couples, but the number of people that flocked to their shows were gay people, just like with Miss Patty. The majority of the ticket uh, buyers are gay people, and, of course, you, there's the mixture of straight people that love her. So uh, uh, it was just... I saw them first in Central Park when they did Nightbird song, and they came out the ceiling in uh, 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 bird like with the costumes were had wow. feathers and plumes and stuff. Uh huh. Uh, that and, was in Central uh, Park. Central Park, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was in Central Park at one of the smaller outdoor theaters. Uh, okay. And it went into the night. It started, I guess, like well, I know we were there about three o'clock in the afternoon and we had a decent view. Uh, but their music, their outfits, their songs that Miss Nona wrote, um, yes. being gay herself, just touch the souls of, of so many people. You know, and we still have to say there were the straight people there too, but if you're talking about uh, the people that really supported uh, LaBelle 
because of their outrageousness and because of the songs and because of the voices, uh, they connected. Yeah. Are you lonely living in a city without a heart, right? Ken Can Sagan, I speak to you that, before you go to Hollywood? I go to her. Hollywood. I know. And you perform that song, right? Yes. In some of my shows, right. I used to. <laughs> see, yeah. see, I do my research, right? Yes, you do. I'm not trying to waste, waste nobody's time. I so, um, like, I feel like the mainstream media, like, when they talk about all, when they talk about gay icons and stuff, like, Pretty much everybody we talked about, with maybe the exception of Sylvester, they don't talk about. Like, it just seems like, with, as black gay men, like, it's just like we didn't exist and we didn't make these huge contributions. You know, like, Keith Barrow didn't make a huge right, statement right. by doing what he did. Like, all these people did not make a huge impact. It just seems erased. You know, would they only want to talk about the Elton Johns and the, you know, David Bowies and the whoever, right. whoever's. But it's like these people did these huge things and dealing with the dual oppressions of being both black and gay. Like, Oof. it just really makes me mad. Like, I just yeah. don't, I don't get it, you know. Wow. Like, we don't. And the thing about it, too, is like, you know, the gay kids, the, like, let's say maybe the mainstream white gay kids don't talk about people. But then, like, black people don't claim people and I'm just like what so it's kind of like even in death people are like living in limbo in terms of their artistic contribution to the world and that's mm-hmm. just I don't know that's just like like Nona said that's just messing with my mind you know yeah. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know a lot of times it's it's political you know uh but I I have to say I really agree with you that uh it, it is. It needs to be a resurrection of of the history of, of of these people and and what they have done. But it's also just like they did with what is his name, Brian Ransty, who was uh, involved in uh, the uh, civil rights movement and worked with Dr. Mm-hmm. King. You know, they are wrestling. Yes, they just yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they you know push him him under the rug. I've seen only a couple of documents documentary. They wouldn't where let the man. Speak at the organ. They would not let the man speak at the march he organized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. So you know. Is. Yeah. You know so what that's mean? what I'm saying. It's political. A lot of times, you know, I was so grateful to see uh, a couple of things uh, where they really brought him out uh, uh, from backstage. But that's just that's just life. And within our community, the only way we can. Uh, keep these lights burning of all these uh, great people uh, that have uh, contributed to our existence and to the world's existence and to the world getting uh, knowledge of the type people we are. Uh, It's still political and it's still wrong when people get shut out. Yeah. yeah. And it it really shows to me you know, you don't have to agree with me or not, but I mean, to me, it really shows sort of the racism or else the racial blindness that the white gay community has because that they can't see that these people were there and made such an impact. And they just kind of will look over those people in their search for um, historical icons. You know, it's right, like they, right. you're looking past people that were there. You, how are you going to look past a Tony Washington sitting up there 
you know, with his bare legs on the cover or sitting up there with makeup? Like, how do you look past that? To me, that's a decision. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Because yeah, it's, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Just so. like going back to the church. It's there. You're going right. back to the sports teams. It's there. You know right. what I'm saying? You can't. Like they used to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No. I want to hear what you have to say. No, I'm just saying it's just there everywhere you look. It's there, and you can't deny it. And I'm so grateful that so many people are trying to understand and accept because it's all about acceptance. If I'm not over there messing with your lawn and and, and you uh, invested trying to keep it together and I go over there and mess it up, don't, don't you know, I, don't get angry with me because I'm not coming over there. I'm going to keep my lawn as well as yours. So I accept your lawn being beautiful, so you accept my lawn being beautiful. But no, you want to come over and dig up in my yard because you don't like my yard. Mm -hmm. And you could even build a fence around your yard. And And you still come over. over. (laughs) (laughs) Like in the what was that True. like in the be in those um like in those like bewitched society more everybody trying to be known yeah so like I yeah. love your little I love your club joints I've been playing you know your recent club joints and stuff I've been streaming them and I just Thank wonder you, if, in close in close you're quite welcome sir in closing because I am down to three percent on my phone so I do not okay. want to be cut off on talking to Mister today but um. All right. I just wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about the um, gospel roots of club music, like how much, you know, gospel, the energy was infused, whether it's not, whether whether it was the music you were hearing at the garage or the music you're currently making, you know, like. Well, it started, it started in um, rhythm and blues because uh, white people didn't know nothing about rhythm and blues until they heard black music. They were playing it, but it didn't get notarized because they even snatched our stuff. But with with the gospel roots, a lot of people that can sing just happen to be people that come out of the church, out of the religious right. organization. Uh, you know, you got those that are hardcore, uh, shouting Pentecostal, Baptist people, you know, the group that I grew up under, you know, the Pentecostal, and it was just about the rhythm. You know, in my church, they had, you know, of course, horns. I knew about bands before I knew about bands outside the church. Uh, right. They had uh, the best singers in the world, the best keyboard players in the world, you know, and the beat from the drum and the, the tambourine, and then you turn around mm-hmm. and people have those old-fashioned washboards from back in the early days. <laughs> Not and the washboard. The washboard, and they would take a wire hanger and fold it and put tape around it and have that tape part so they wouldn't uh, damage their hands, but the other part would come up with rhythm on the, wish, on the washboard. So the gospel uh, uh, format of music was just raised from the church into the uh the the uh people that were coming up as musicians and the Ray Charles is a, a perfect example you know what i'm saying his music right. uh, uh stemmed from the gospel roots and sometimes he flipped the world of music and made it gospel so right. um it was just the uh, uh the point that these particular elements 
are out there, and some are more powerful than the other. And that's where gospel and the uh, Mahalia Jacksons and the Patti LaBelles, um, that strong vocal presence, and, you know, the men did their things, but the women were the ones that really led the choirs and playing the upright piano. So all of the, it's all about the beat, the feeling, the passion, and the message that come up out of that gospel roots. Well, you know, what some people have told me was like part of the appeal of places like um, the garage was like people that were exiled from the church could get mostly. a church-like experience at the Mostly, garage. mostly. Okay. I agree. I agree. Because it was totally. Just, it was, it, was it the, the, you know, communing with people and just the energy? I mean, what was it that was It was just that. It was just that mm-hmm. everybody was searching for something. Whether you attended a religious organization or not, even if you heard music on your radio or your parents, you just felt that energy and, and, and that feeling of, I like this, where can I find more of this? If you were in a religious organization and you were considered a black backslider or you uh, were defrayed from being able to participate in the church, in the religious organization, and you went home and played your music and you were like, well, I'm going to have to find some place that can suffice, not suffice, but uh, uh, pacify me. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. from what I'm used to hearing and and the movement and watching the people, just like in in the religious organization, everybody that Pentecostal or Baptist that put on a praise dance, they don't all sh- shout alike, and that's the same mm-hmm. way it is in the club. You're looking at the different uh, body movements and people's interpretation of what they're feeling. So all Ooh. of that is the root of uh, music. Period but soul music and gospel music uh, elevates the energy and the frame uh, 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 of this thing that we call music. And if you look at or listen to anybody out there that can really sing or really have a following, you're going to hear that gospel roots from somewhere. Wow. Well, sir, like I said, you're not going to have me embarrassed and have my phone cut off for the first time. I enjoy it. But I love this has been the, the, one of the honors of my career. Like I said, Bless I want to get the book out to you. Likewise, I want to likewise. Re- maintain a relationship. Thank you. And, you know, I just, I just um, am overwhelmed with, you know, just appreciation for what you have shared with me. Stay, stay have care. a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.